This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and we will begin a new series this morning out of the book of Hebrews. That'll be our New Testament reading. First, I'll read from the Old Testament, which I believe both scriptures will be on the screen for you to follow along. First, coming from Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then we turn to our passage this morning, Hebrews chapter 1, and beginning then in verse 1 through verse 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. May God bless the reading and preaching of his holy word. Well, good morning again. It's a joy to be with you and I'm looking forward to studying this book, the book of Hebrews with you as we walk through it over the many months that are in front of us. And today we're focusing on just the first three verses, which really captures the essence of the book as a whole. But before we dive in, let's just take a moment and pray together. Father, we come before you in your house, sitting under your word. Lord, we know that it is by your Spirit that we will have ears to hear. And so we pray that we would be given that. We pray that we would be given soft hearts and willing spirits, Lord, to listen and obey. Lord, we come before you recognizing that we are in need of your grace. Lord, as we already have prayed together a prayer of confession, we have been reminded that we are sinners. Scripture is very clear about that. There is none righteous, no, not one. And yet, Lord, you loved us so much that you would send your very own Son to come, to live, to die, to resurrect, to ascend, and to sit at your right hand. And Lord, we are thankful for the gift of Jesus. And so we pray that this morning our eyes would be open to see Jesus more clearly, to love him more deeply, to truly be changed by your word. 
God, speak through me, your servant. Help me, Lord, that I wouldn't say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Sometimes we can get really excited about something, only to discover it wasn't that good after all. Can I get an amen to that? I know I'm not alone. Sometimes it's a particular brand that we have been looking forward to coming out, or maybe it's a certain TV show that we have cut a time in our calendar to watch, and all of a sudden we're watching or we're, we're buying and we're disappointed. But what makes that even worse is after we spend our time on that thing, it's when we discover there was something far better right in front of us that we knew all along. It's been there the whole time. That's the story of the book of Hebrews. The story of the book of Hebrews is that Christ, the Redeemer, has made himself known to his church consisting of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, but making it clear that He is the Redeemer, and yet the church wanting to go back to its former ways. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. It's left unknown. But one thing is not, is not unknown is what his point is. Christ is supreme. It's Christ to whom we should give all of our praise. It's to Christ to whom we should place all of our confidence. It's to Christ that we should give full allegiance. That's the point the writer of Hebrews wants you to hear throughout his book. When the prophet Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 6, saw the Lord on his throne, it changed him. That confrontation with the Lord, that moment, that engagement with the Lord changed him. That is the purpose for which the writer of Hebrews writes about Jesus. That your encounter with the Lord would change you. Not just for more information's sake, but that your hearts would be warmed by the beauty of Jesus. For some of us here this morning, this may be the first time that we're hearing about the majesty and the glory of Christ. But for most of us, this book offers us a unique opportunity to regain our focus, to return to our wonder and amazement of the glory of Christ. That's the setting and the purpose for which we come to the book of Hebrews. C.S. Lewis in his novel, Prince Caspian, there's a famous scene in that book where Lucy, who now is much older, she has, she has changed some. She's grown some since her first encounter with Aslan, the lion. She sees that lion and she goes and she runs to him and, and she, she, she falls between his front paws and she buries her face in his mane. And I remind you that Aslan represents Jesus. We're told when Lucy is there resting in his mane, she utters these famous words, you're bigger. Aslan responds, that is because you're older, little one. Every year you grow, you will find me bigger. C.S. Lewis's point is clear. The more we grow in Christ, the bigger and more wonderful he becomes. That's the point 
of Hebrews. As I stated earlier, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. There's a theologian by the name of G.K. Beale, and I believe he captures it well when he says the primary audience was a Jewish Christian audience who lived in or near Rome. Uh, We see this Jewish Christian audience wrestling with something. Dr. Michael Kruger points out that they're leaving their newfound faith and going back to their old ways. They're abandoning the gospel to go back into Judaism. Dr. Kruger continues, for whatever reason, perhaps the pressure of persecution or opposition, they're thinking about going back to Judaism, going back to the old ways, animal sacrifices, worship in the temple, old paths, if you will, that Jews had trusted in for generations. As you you pause for a moment, you just think about who this letter is written to, it's those who are thinking about abandoning the gospel. Now, for most of us, that might seem stark or crazy. Why would we ever abandon the gospel? Yet, in our prayer of confession, we admit we do it all the time. We admit that we turn our eyes from the most precious thing to look around for joy in other things. Maybe it's persecution of being a Christian. Maybe it's the difficulty of the situations we find ourselves in daily, but we all need to have our eyes realigned to see the beauty of King Jesus. We don't know for sure the reason, but the Hebrews must have been but he, the book of Hebrews must have been written somewhere before the fall of the temple because they're tempted to go back to the worship. Many theologians suspect that Hebrews was actually written somewhere in the 60 AD marker, which would tell us it was during a time of great persecution when Christians were, were suffering at the hands of, of the emperors. And actually, it would be easier to be Jewish because Judaism was already an accepted religion amongst the Romans. The writer has one main point, though. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the glory of Christ. He continues to point out chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the essence and the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. The writer encourages every believer to faithfully persevere by pointing them to Jesus Christ and his glory. So let's take a look. Chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Notice this comparison that he offers right out of the gate. He doesn't take time to introduce himself. He doesn't give us some prologue of of information or greetings. He gets right into it. He wants us to hear what he finds so desperately important. He creates a comparison of the old way versus the new way. If you will, the old covenant versus the new covenant. Yes, all saints saved the same way. Yes, all saints saved in looking forward to a Messiah who would save them. But in the old covenant, there were pictures and shadows and types, whereas in the new is the reality of the one who would come and die in a tree. But notice there's other comparisons of the old versus the new. Long ago, he says, in many times and in many ways, covering a great expanse of time, in many ways, God did something. God spoke. God spoke to our fathers. Notice the phrase, 
by the prophets. He used these men to speak, but God would fill them with his words. But then verse 2 says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. What a contrast. He's still speaking, but now he's speaking to us, not to our forefathers. He's speaking to us through his son. The first thing I would want you to see is so very important is that God speaks. God speaks. God is not silent. God is speaking to his church. God is speaking to his people. The question is, do we hear him? Are we listening? See, we need to understand revelation originates from God. God is the source of all true revelation. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 21, it says, For no prophecy ever was produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Revelation originates from God. The key to understanding that God condescends to us to speak to his people. He speaks in a language we can understand. As Aslan appeared to get bigger and older, the truth was Lucy was growing in her understanding. The same is true from the Old Testament all the way to the New. As God gave shadows and pictures and types showing ultimately what the Savior would look like, here he had come in all of his beauty, and yet they didn't notice him. But God speaks. And this is important because God is not silent. And it is good news to know that God speaks. But God has spoken through progressive revelation. God has spoken in the past through the prophets. And God speaks now through his son. Think about the past for a moment. Go all the way back to the garden, if you will. You think about the pre-fall. God spoke directly to Adam. There's no middleman. God spoke directly to Adam, telling Adam his wishes, his desires for Adam, his commandments for Adam. And Adam could speak directly to God. And yet, after the fall, after we see Adam hiding himself from God out of fear, God now speaks through dreams, visions, angels. He spoke to Moses out of a burning bush. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He spoke to Isaiah in a vision of the temple. He spoke to Amos in a basket of summer fruit. But God spoke in many diverse ways. God in the Old Testament spoke by the prophets, but he was not limited to speak simply through prophets. For in fact, God even spoke through Balaam's donkey, didn't he? A prophet was called not to say his own things, give his own message, but to share the very message God gave them by the prophets, it says. God spoke by the prophets. But in the Old Testament, God spoke by these prophets, but in the New, God speaks by his Son. Revelation is progressive, and at the pinnacle of that progression is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of that revelation. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, Paul writes, but when the fullness of time, notice that, when time was most pregnant, when time was most ready, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. 
Jesus was the pinnacle. Jesus was the point of all revelation. All revelation moved to tell of Christ. Why? Because Christ is the very Word of God. See, Jesus came, and Jesus came to bring the Word, but Jesus was actually the very Word of God, according to John 1.1. Previously, God spoke through prophets, but now in these last days, He speaks by something even greater. Or should I say, by someone even greater. He speaks through divine speech, through the incarnation, the Son of God. I heard one man say, he said, this isn't to reduce the importance of the Old Testament, that all of a sudden Jesus came and we can say, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. Unfortunately, many people have done this. In fact, some have become so narrow that they don't even take all of the New Testament. We may call these the red-letter Christians. They take and assume for themselves a canon within a canon. But understand, church, this is wrong. Because God is the one who inspires. God is the one who breathes out every word, both in the New Testament as well as the Old. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see what is pictures and shapes and declarations of Jesus. And Jesus goes back and receives that and uses that in his teaching. Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. But understand, Jesus is the final and greater prophet of God, this man says. He doesn't necessarily reduce the Old Testament prophets, but establishes them. Why, you may ask? Because they spoke of Christ. The prophets pointed to Christ. Yet hear this, church. Jesus is the greater prophet. The same way a visit from a friend is better than a letter from that same friend. Through the prophets, God sent letters to us. But in Christ, God actually visits us. What a great quote. Understanding the reality of God visiting us and speaking the very word of God to us. The love of God. The beauty of Christ. But the question before us is, do we rejoice over that? I ask you this morning, are you faithfully rejoicing in the gift of Jesus Christ? Do you get excited about actually assembling and hearing the word preached, reading it on your own, walking into Bible studies to learn about Jesus as the word of God is declared, as Jesus Christ is set up, lifted up, and made much of? Church, understand the very word of God has been given to us. The word of God which declares our salvation and our freedom in Christ alone. Are you rejoicing in Christ? The writer of Hebrews makes something else abundantly clear. That is, who is his son? God spoke through his son. And God's son is the full manifestation of the revelation All of Scripture is about him. He is the center. He is the point. He is the full revelation. Scripture in the Old Testament pointed to him in shadows and types. The New Testament tells of his coming, his person, his work. Even Jesus, the resurrected Christ, walking on the road of Emmaus with the two men, it says, in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
pointing out facts that they often missed, showing them that he is, in fact, the Christ, the centerpiece, the purpose, the revealed word. Church, understand this. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. The Son is the very Son of God. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Yet this son, God, humbled himself. He took on human flesh. So for what purpose? So that he could die. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8, he says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Understand this, that Jesus is the full manifestation of the revelation. Jesus is the very Son of God. He is God. And understand this, the Father is pleased in him. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, where we read, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Later on, as Jesus is at the mountain with his disciples, it says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, he was still speaking with them when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, within whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Again and again in scripture, it declares that the father is pleased with the son. So I ask you, do we truly know this son of God? Do we truly know this one whom all Scripture points? Do you know him? This Son of God who took on human flesh to save us from our sins, are you trusting him? Not just as a ticket to heaven, but with everything in your life. Is he your chief joy? This Son in whom the Father is pleased, do you find delight? Do you cherish him? Do you find him wonderful and marvelous as the scriptures point us? The writer of Hebrews gives us a very comprehensive resume. He talks about the Son as the supreme creator and sustainer. He begins with the fact that he is the heir of all things. He says he's the heir. He's the possessor of all things. The universe is in his hand. Everything is his. After all, Jesus said this before he left his disciples in Matthew 28. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is the heir of all things. And yet, he is not just simply the heir, he is also the creator of all things. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is not just the heir. He's not just the creator. In fact, we're told in our text that he is the radiance, the glory of God. This is the idea of the reflection. See, God's glory is his beauty, God's perfection, his excellency, his, his moral beauty. And we read in John chapter 1, and the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory. 
glory here dwelling on this earth. The beauty of Christ, how can we turn to anything else? The heir of all things, the creator of all things, the radiant glory. But the writer continues, he is the exact imprint of God's image. The Son is the exact representation of God's nature because He is God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, at the very end, He says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus said, I and the Father are one, making it very clear that He is, in fact, the exact imprint of God's image. This is the God in whom we worship. Jesus Christ, who took human flesh and dwelt amongst us. He is the one, according to our text, who holds, upholds the universe. He sustains, he governs the universe. He is the sovereign one. And yet we fear and we fret, we worry, forgetting all the while that he is in charge. He upholds and directs all things. Church, hear me this morning. You are safe in his hands. He is a loving God. We are safe in his hands. The question, are we trusting him this morning? Not with just the big things like death. Many of us can look and say yes because we're younger and we assume death is a far way off. But let me tell you, as a minister, I've spent many a time meeting with those individuals who are on their deathbed. And there's oftentimes fear. I think it's natural. But ultimately, we reassure them with the confidence of the gospel, trusting Christ, and you are secure. Church, are you trusting? Are you resting? Hear why the writer of Hebrews says we should. He makes purification for our sins. In Christ, our sins have been removed. As far as the east is from the west, the psalmist writes in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your transgressions from us. What a beautiful work that Christ does on our behalf. His glory is seen in his handiwork. Not only has he created the world, but he's redeemed a broken world. How many of us can be in awe at the hands of a great craftsman? But Jesus is the Savior, the purifier, the redeemer. What beautiful work he does. And get this. His work is done. His, his work of saving men is done because we're told he sat down. He sits down in majesty on high. See, after his work of purification has been completed, he ascended into heaven. He, he took his seat at the Father's right hand. And, and this is important because what does the right hand teach us? The right hand teaches us it's a place of power. It's the place of reward. It's the place of completion. The right hand is the place he makes intercession for us. What a beautiful truth that we know that Jesus, even now, is interceding for his people. Oh, the glory, the majesty, the beauty of such a Savior. He who created the world. He who is the very imprint of God. He who purifies our sin. What love he has for us. So church, I ask you, are you trusting in the Son who is the heir of all things? The church, are you trusting in the creator, the radiant glory, the exact imprint, the one who upholds the universe? Are you resting in his finished work? 
the one who purifies ours from our sins? Are you trusting in him, the one who has sat down at the right hand of the Father? Are you trusting him? Is your confidence in him? Are you loving him? Is he your chief joy? He needs to be. May I say that? He must be. For there is no other sway of salvation. Jesus and Jesus alone is our only hope. In the midst of trial, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, oppression, hardship, Jesus is our only hope. That's what the writer of Hebrews would have you know. Jesus is your only hope. And Jesus is worthy of all your praise. Jesus never disappoints. He never lets down. He is perfect. And he is worthy of your honor. Church, understand, there is only one Jesus. Jesus deserves all your affection and all your trust. Our praise should surround him for all he has done. Our confidence should be placed upon him for he is the one who saves don't turn back don't look for joy or hope in any other place it's misguided for in Christ you find what is far better the majesty on high the beauty of God himself church worship and adore Christ trust him draw near to him live for him for he is worthy Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we'd ask that our eyes and our hearts would be fixed upon Jesus. Thank you for this reminder of the work and the person of your Son. Thank you, Lord, that we know that all of Scripture has declared who he is from Genesis to Revelation. He is the pinnacle of that revelation. He himself, the very word of God. Lord, may we trust him completely, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan.